This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Hey, well, good morning and a happy Father's Day uh, to you dads and uh, to you men that uh, are not fathers. Um, Every man has an opportunity uh, to be a father. And what I mean by that is that each of us as men uh, can become role models. We can become spiritual fathers. And uh, that's so important. Uh, I remember many years ago when I was working in the area of uh, jail and prison ministry, I was out at uh, Mule Creek State Prison uh, in Ione. It's in California. And uh, the chaplain had called me at the last minute and said, Todd, could you come out this afternoon and run our chapel services? Uh, I'm not going to be able to come in. And so I said, sure. And so as I was getting up to speak uh, to the fellows there in the chapel, I began to talk, and all of a sudden, it dawned on me. It was like, it's like, here I am on Father's Day in prison, right, speaking to men who are fathers, and I uh, grew up without a dad. And many of you know my story. When I was very small, my father went to prison and uh, grew up without a dad. And it's just like, wow. How surreal is that? Uh, here is, here I was, uh, like one of their sons, right? Fatherless, speaking to the men who weren't with their sons because they were in prison. And uh, I remember the Lord um, just gave me some words of encouragement to those men, uh, words of hope to those men, um, some admonishment too. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, former governor of Minnesota, Al Quee, he was also a congressman, I believe. Uh, he used to say that the number one problem in America is fatherlessness. And he went on to explain that if you look at every single um, social ill or problem that we have in our country, that you can trace them back in large part to fatherlessness. The absence of the influence of men of character. The absence of the influence of men to guide their sons and their daughters. The absence of influence of men to be loving husbands, to model for their children what a good and healthy marriage should look like. And you can go on and on and on. And he would say that. And, uh, you know, over the years, uh, I've really come to believe that. Uh, That's why for those of you that are dads here this morning, I really want to encourage you to live into the very best of of what that means. Uh, Not in your own strength, uh, but in the strength that the Lord gives you. Uh, Because the Lord has called you to fatherhood. The Lord in His sovereignty and His providence has given you the children that you have. And His intention is that you be a godly man, that you be a man of godly character, 
and that you be a man who models for them what it means to walk with Jesus and to love them with the love that Jesus has placed in your heart. And so I want to give you that encouragement this morning uh, on Father's Day. If you'd receive that, uh, how important that is. And uh, as I began, um, maybe we're not all fathers. I, I do not have natural children of my own. Um, but the Lord has given me the opportunity for those of us who do not have children of our own. God gives us the opportunity to, to be spiritual fathers, role models, surrogate dads um, to those uh, that desperately need that. And I am so grateful that there have been men in my life uh, that have played that role, that have stepped up, that have uh, God has used to model for me character and in many cases godliness and what it means to, to live a life following Jesus. I'm so grateful for that. And so just know that you can make an impact as well. Uh, I remember I was probably maybe 14 years old, thereabouts. And my mom said, come on, Todd, let's get in the car. Where are we going, mom? And uh, she said, don't worry about it, let's just get in the car. And so she drove me across town and she pulled into a parking lot. And she walked me into this business. And it was called um, Huntington Health Club. And it was on Huntington Drive in the town of Arcadia where I grew up in Southern California. And she walked me into the office of the owner. It was a man named Bill. And essentially what she did is says, here's my son. Uh, he wants to play football in high school. Uh, as you can tell, he needs to put a little meat on his bones. Uh, I'm going to leave him here with you and, and just you help him. And there she left me. Okay? And this man, Bill, kind of looked me over. And he said, come with me. And we walked into the gymnasium. Uh, and in those days, there were men's days at the gym and women's days at the gym. And men's days were um, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And women's days were Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Okay? At this particular gym. So I walked on the gym floor and I looked. And there were all these men. Right? And uh, many of them were very physically fit. They were very strong. They were pushing all kinds of weight. Now you have to understand, growing up in a home without a dad, with a mom, uh, in a brief time, uh, uh, an older sister before she went off to, um, to college, uh, that gymnasium was a foreign land. Okay? It really was a strange environment for me. But I remember Bill <clears throat> showing me around. My eyes were, must have been as big as saucers. Uh, he said to me, Todd, um, I want to help you. Uh, I want to help you get in shape for football. I want to help you grow up to be strong and, you know, that kind of a thing. He goes, but there's three things you have to do. Basically, I'll paraphrase what he said. He said, you have to do what I say when I tell you to do it and you have to ask me for help if you do those three things um, you see these guys on the floor someday you're going to be like one of them and I was like wow okay I was the epitome you know the, the, the 90 pound weakling kind of guy and over the years I would go in and, and he would train me and he would show me the ropes and 
And uh, sure enough, I began to grow and get stronger and I began to play high school sports and I began to build relationships with the men in the gym. And, and it really was uh, more than just becoming physically fit. I was learning about, about manhood. I was learning about masculinity. And there were men that would help me out as I exercised and as I worked out. And it was a really positive experience. And I would go faithfully for years. In fact, from those early teen years all the way into my um, early 20s, I would, I would go and work out at that gym. And uh, I remember, uh, as the years go, went by, Bill would give me responsibility. He would say, hey, uh, would you mind answering the phone? I'm going out for a, a sandwich. Or he would say, uh, hey, um, I'm expecting uh, a new member prospect to come in. Could you, could you greet them and show them around the gym? Or, hey, would you mind uh, going into the locker room and, and, and cleaning up this or that for me? And it was just, you know, kind of very subtle over the years. He'd give me responsibility. And then one day, I'll never forget this. He calls me into his office. He says, sit down, Todd. And he says, uh, you know, you've been here a, a good many years now and I've watched you grow up to be a young man. And he goes, I'm proud of you. You've worked hard and I want to give you something. I'll never forget it. He opened up his desk and he reached inside and he had a key. And he said, this is your key to the gym. You've earned this. You can come anytime you want. You don't have to pay dues anymore. You're in. And you know what? Of all my peers and all my friends that went to the gym that I grew up with working out, I was the only one that he gave a key to the gym to. Isn't that amazing? Now, you, you, you talk about dads where they, they hand their sons or daughters a key to the car, right? And that's kind of a rite of passage. Well, I didn't have that. You see, I, I didn't have a dad to, to do that in my life. And uh, Bill, whether he recognized it or not, acting as a surrogate father for those very important years as I was developing from a teenager into a young man, uh, that day he gave me a blessing. He blessed me. Uh, just like Rachel said, it was as if he had put his hand upon me, you know, and said, here, I bless you. And I'll never forget that. I went from a, a place that was so strange to a place that was so familiar to a place where um, I was given that key. I was given the blessing. Isn't that great story? Man, that's good stuff. That's, that's why the, this morning as we talk about the rest of the story, uh, these next few weeks we're looking at the lives of men and later on Tyler's going to share the life of a woman in Scripture. Uh, we come across them in the pages of Scripture. We read part of their story, but oftentimes we don't know the whole story. And it's the rest of the story, it's the filling in of the story that really helps us understand and make sense of what God would want us to learn from their lives. And, you know, as we think of uh, looking for uh, godly men as role models, the pages of Scripture are full of them. That's why it's so important that we not only have people here in our lives um, that are role models, but that we go into God's Word and we look at the lives of men and women 
whose lives can, can serve to us as godly role models. Now, one of the things I'm so grateful for is that as you look at the lives of these men and women in Scripture, you see that they're just like you and me. Um, they're imperfect. They make mistakes. Uh, they come from families and home lives that often aren't the best. And yet what we see is the faithfulness of God, our Heavenly Father, in their lives. And, and how God works in their lives and weaves His sovereign plan in and through them and so that their stories become a part of His greater story, His plan of redemption. His ultimate plan of His work through Jesus Christ. And we see that from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. And I'm so grateful that God has placed in His Word those examples for us. That we can identify with them. That we can see their strengths and we can see their weaknesses. Uh, we can see them when they are faithful and accomplishing what God intends. But we can see their struggle in getting there. Because you know what that does? That encourages us, doesn't it? And it encourages us in our struggle. Over 32 years in, in ministry, pastoral ministry, uh, and working with men, um, <clears throat> I think one of the most common um, statements that I've heard men say is this. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly father. I want to live a godly life, and I want to glorify God with my life. But frequently I hear these words, but pastor, I don't know how. It was never modeled for me. Now I can relate to that. Some of us can, others have had that other blessing. But whether you've had that role model or not, there are men all around us that can serve as role models. There are patriarchs uh, in our church. Just look at Ralph. He's an example, right? You want an example of what it means to walk with Jesus. And there are others. But there are men in Scripture that, that serve in that way as well. And, and one of them today I want to look at briefly is Abraham. Now, how appropriate is it to look at the father of a great nation, Israel, the one that God called out from a place that he knew, a place of comfort, right? To a strange land. Uh, to a land that God wanted to give him. To a promise that God wanted to fulfill in his life and through his life. And so I thought it was appropriate that we look today at the father of a, of a great nation. The father of Israel, right? On Father's Day. And we could use him as an example. And that we could look at his life in particular as one as a journey of faith. Often we think of Abraham as this great patriarch, this great and faithful man, and yes, he's all of that. But his was a faith journey. He learned that as he walked with God. As he walked with God in a, in a foreign land, as he walked with God in a new life, as he walked with God, God giving him a, a completely new identity as we read in Genesis where God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, um, the father of many. And so he's learning what it means 
to live into his new identity, his purpose that God had planned for him. And what a role model he is for us men and for women, but us men in particular. That in Christ, God has given us a new identity, hasn't he? And he is calling us out to live a new life, to live differently. And we see here in the example of Abraham, that journey, that struggle, um, some ups and downs along the way. But we see God at work in his life and we see him living into the very best of of what God called him to be in, in his new identity. Now one of my favorite passages in scripture or chapters is Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 11. And then I want you also to put your finger in um, Genesis chapter 12 because we're going to flip back there in a second, okay? But Hebrews chapter 11 is what is known as the hall of faith. For in Hebrews chapter 11, we see the lives of men and women who are commended for their faith. In other words, it's a chapter full of faith and action. We, we hear about these men and women and they're held out as examples, as role models for us. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, 1, it begins with these words. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And by faith... The people of old, the ancients, right? The author is saying those who, who came before us, the patriarchs, the others, by faith they are commended. And then he goes into verse 6 and it says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Then in verse 7 and following, he goes in and he gives examples of those who believed. And those who earnestly sought him. And we, we read about their lives. We read about the, the present rewards they experienced. The, the difficulties and the persecutions that, that they experienced as a result of following God and being obedient to Him. And and then we read about the future reward that awaits all of them. And and the thing I love about it is um, it says all of these were faithful uh, without ever seeing the, the promise, right, fulfilled. They were part of that promise God's plan of redemption that culminates in the, in the redemptive work of His Son, Jesus Christ, are all a part of that. They're looking forward to it. They don't fully realize it, but you know what? They're faithful anyway. They're faithful anyway. And that's such an encouragement to us. So in, in verse 8, it begins uh, with Abraham. And this is what it says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know 
where he was going. God calls him. God calls him out. God calls him to leave everything that he knows, the land of his inheritance, right, behind, and to go to a strange and to a foreign land. And he goes not even knowing really where he's going. But he goes anyway because God has called him and directed him to go. Have you ever felt like you're wandering in the wilderness? Have you ever wondered what God's doing in your life? Men, as the plan for your life unfolds, have you ever had a divine detour? Where you thought you were going in one direction and yet God is calling you off somewhere else? And uh, it seems filled with risk and peril. In fact, if we're honest men, it, it stirs fear up in our heart. And how are we going to respond? What are we going to do? Well, Abraham serves as a wonderful example. He went trusting God, even though he didn't know where he was going. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to go with him. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, By faith he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And it goes on and talks about Isaac and Jacob. And then it gets to, to Sarah, his wife. And how by faith, even though she was past childbearing years, she trusted God and at age 90, 90, at age 90. By the way, Abraham was 100. There's 10 years difference. He's 75 years old. When God calls him out. Sarah is 10 years behind him. So she's 65. Thereabouts. Okay. So she's 90 and he's 100. When their son Isaac is born. And so it talks about that here. And then it's bookended. You move through this. And you get to chapter. Or excuse me. Verse 17. And this is what it says. By faith Abraham when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring, um, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Okay? So here we have in Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith. In verse 8, it talks about Abraham answering God's call to go to a strange and foreign land, even though he didn't know where he was going. And then it's bookended at the end in verse 17, where it talks about his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, the child of promise, the one whom God had told him uh, his offspring would be immeasurable, as many as the, the sand on the seashore or the stars, right, in the sky. And he was willing to trust God and he was willing to take his son to that mountain and to create that altar and to perform that burnt offering. And of course, we know that, that God intervened. And so, 
here we see Abraham leaving his home. And then in verse 17, we see Abraham in the ultimate act of faith, being willing to trust God, even to the point of sacrificing his son, if, if that's what he needed to do. But you see, the rest of the story is what happens in between, right? It's, it's that journey uh, from uh, the land of Ur, right, uh, to, the, to the mount where he was willing to sacrifice his son. It was all those years in between. It was that faith journey that we read about in Genesis. So if you just turn to Genesis chapter 12. And we're just going to do a quick survey here and just point some things out that are helpful for us that we can learn from Abraham. And men in particular, there's some applications for our own lives as we seek to follow God and to be obedient to his call to be godly men, fathers, husbands, surrogate fathers, leaders in our church and our community, role models for the sake of the gospel. So in Genesis chapter 12, we see the call of Abraham. And notice, uh, when God calls Abraham, beginning in verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And really, this is um, God's promise, which is speaking into a covenant that God is going to make with Abraham. And he does that formally as we move into chapter 15 of Genesis. But there's four things that are included in that, in that covenant, an everlasting covenant that God makes with Abraham. Uh, one is his seed or his offspring, that they're going to be numerous, right? Now imagine being a man to up to that time had not been able to conceive. Imagine that promise. Imagine being 75 and getting that promise. Okay? The second thing is that I'm going to take you from the land that you know and, and I'm going to give you a promised land, the land of Canaan. And not only that, I'm going to make you a great nation and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you. And if that's not enough, you can count on me, God says. I am going to offer you my divine blessing and protection. And of course, even... When you're faithless, I'm going to be faithful because I'm going to be true to my covenant. So verse 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, who was his nephew, went with him. It says Abram was 75 years old. Okay? So he goes. And as he leaves, there's a drought. There's a test that's going to come. What's he going to do? Right? There's a drought 
Is it going to divert God from fulfilling his plan? Is he going to see God's faithfulness even in the midst of this initial adversity as he comes into this land and, and he heads towards Egypt? And now he becomes fearful because he's in this foreign land. And what is he afraid of? He's afraid that the Egyptians, when they see how beautiful his wife is, in fact, men, here's a great lesson on Father's Day from Abraham, right? In uh, Genesis 12, verse 11, he says, As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. All right, do you tell your wife how beautiful she is? What a great role model for us men. And he said, I'm afraid that when the Egyptians see you, they're going to want you, so they're going to kill me. So could you do, hey, listen, let's do something for both of us. You tell the Egyptians that you're my sister, not my wife. That way, um, they'll take you, but they'll let me live. Okay? And of course, that's what happens, but we know that as a result, God intervenes. Because that wasn't his plan. He was fearful, wasn't he? He is learning to walk with God. He's learning to trust God. And men, that's part of our story too. We, we learn to walk with God. We learn to trust God. And, and sometimes there are things we don't understand. Sometimes we don't feel like we know where we're going. And sometimes we encounter opposition. And we're not quite, we're not quite sure we know what to do. And we become like Abram, or Abraham as he'll later become. We take our own initiative to take care of our future. And we try to assist God in fulfilling his promises. That's what we do, men. Okay? That's what Abram does here. But God intervenes, of course, and, and uh, he brings such difficulty upon the Egyptians that they said, here, take her back. We don't want her. Okay? But after that, the Lord, knowing what he needs, reminds him, uh, after he and his nephew Lot separate, in verse 14 of chapter 13, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, their herdsmen were having problems with one another and so they decided to go separate ways and Abram gives Lot his choice of the land that he wants and Abram says, okay, I'll take this land and then the Lord comes to him and says, look around from where you are from north to south to east and west all the land that you see and I will give you your offspring that I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. And he says, now go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And so oftentimes, after times of challenge, after times of uncertainty, after times that are fearful for us, maybe where we, we try to fulfill our own future by helping God fulfill his promises, when that's not what God wants us to do, God comes and he reminds us. He says, no, wait a minute, let me remind you again who I am, my plan for your life, you can trust me, walk in obedience, be faithful, let me do for you what you can't do for yourself. And so that's what he does here in chapter 13. 
But then we get to chapter 15 and, and we see God actually making that covenant with Abram. And now look at this in chapter 15, verse 1. He's giving Abram exactly what he needs. He's telling him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, right? I'm your protection. And I am your great reward. I'm your blessing. I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bless you. And I know what you feel like you don't know where you're going. I know that you're encountering um, kings and, and people in a strange land. And, and I know you've had some difficulty. But listen, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. And then again, he reminds him. He takes him outside in verse 5 of chapter 15. He says, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So your offspring will be. And it says, Abraham believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? But you know, sometimes we believe, men, we believe God's promises. We believe. But there's that tension and that struggle and that challenge of, of living into that belief, isn't there? And we continue to see that in the life of Abram and his wife Sarai. In fact, Sarai comes to him. Abram's 86 years old now. It's been, what, 10, 11 years since God made that initial calling him out and, and promising him. And still there's no child. So what does Sarai do? Sarai suggests, says, hey, listen, you sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. And you will conceive, and that way we'll have a child. And Abram, again, concerned about his future, trying to help God fulfill his promise, takes matters into his own hands, and, and he and Hagar conceive, and they have a son named Ishmael. Right? And Ishmael is going to be the one from whom the Arab nations come from. And later on, when Sarah's 90 and Abraham's 100, they have Isaac. And Isaac, of course, is going to be the one through whom God's going to fulfill his promise and create a great nation. And you're going to see the nation of Israel. So here in this story, you see two great nations arise. Okay? Or great people, people groups arise. And all through the stories, you read on. And you can read, and I encourage you to read. You, you see these challenges, these faith challenges and these testings and these places where he's growing and, and, and he's not quite sure and he's learning what it means to walk with God. Okay? And then it culminates in Genesis chapter 22 and we know the story that God calls Abraham and Abraham says, Here I am. Just like he did when God originally called him back in Genesis chapter 12. And God tells him, I want you to take your son Isaac. And I want you to go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering where I will show you. On the mountain I'll show you. And in verse 3, we see something very important. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. 
He took with him two of his servants, his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place that God had told him. And then in verse 4, On the third day, I, uh, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. He had three days. Three days to think about it. Three days to change his mind. Three days to interject his own plan to, to help God fulfill the future he wanted for himself. But what did he do? In those three days, he never wavered. He was faithful. He was obedient. We see that, that faith development, don't we? We see a fearful man becoming a faithful man. A man who has learned to trust God. A man who's learned to walk with God. A man who's learned to obey God even when God asks him to do something that he doesn't understand. Okay? And in chapter 12, it starts out by saying he didn't know where he was going. Now he knows where he's going and he, know, he knows who he's going with. And that's God. That God is with him. Well, as you read on in the story... The servants that he brought with him, he takes his son and says, uh, the boy and I are going to go worship and we'll be back. Interesting, isn't it? We'll be back. And then Isaac spoke in verse 7 and says, Father, yes, my son Abraham replies, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And in verse 8, Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And of course, as we read that, we can't help but think how God provides the lamb of God, his own son, Jesus Christ, for the offering for your sin and mine. And how this is foreshadowing and looking forward to that. God's faithfulness. The ultimate plan that, that God had to work through Abraham and through his children, through Israel, that plan of redemption that would culminate in Jesus himself, who, as you trace the lineage, has come the seed of Abraham, that God fulfills his promise. And we know that, that he takes his son up to the mount, and he's, as he's ready to, to sacrifice, right, the Lord stops him. And as he looks, there's a ram in a thicket. God provided the sacrifice. God is faithful to provide what we need. And you know what Abraham named that place? And here's the rest of the story. God will provide. God will provide. And the wonderful, wonderful message and the model that we get from Abram or Abraham in his life is that he was an imperfect man who learned to trust and walk with God. And God worked his perfect plan through him. And in the end, he knew and his faith was tested. And he lived into the reality, one that you and I, in all of our weakness and all of our challenges and all of our doubts, that we can hold on to and that we can claim as our own promise. And it's this. 
God will provide. Wherever you are today, wherever you are in that journey of faith, whatever challenges you are facing, whether you feel like you're knowing where you're going or not, you know that God is going with you. He walks with you. He's gone ahead of you. He's prepared the way. And as Abram was walking up the side of that mountain to sacrifice his son, unbeknownst to him on the other side of that mountain, there was a ram that God was leading to that place of sacrifice. Abraham couldn't have seen it, but he believed it. And God provided. And that's the rest of the story. So worship team comes up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the father of a great nation, Abraham. Father, how you walked with him in his journey, his development of faith. And in that, Father, he learned what it meant to walk with you. So much so that he's remembered always, he and his wife, as models of those who were faithful. Father, some of us today, uh, maybe we feel like Abraham. Or maybe we feel like Sarah. Uh, Maybe our lives are full of challenges or uncertainties. Maybe we feel like we don't even know where we're going. But Father, this morning, may we leave here with the assurance that wherever we're going, you are going with us. And that you who promised are faithful. And that you love us. And that you care for us. And that you are weaving the story of our lives with all of the ups and downs and challenges and uncertainties. Lord, you, a God who is certain, are weaving our stories into your greater story and plan of redemption. Father, may we leave here confident to know that you are the God who provides. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.